Hey, girl. Hey, hey, hey. All right. If you've got a question, the voices will rise and I hear. Flash Chicks is an SP sponsored podcast. Hello. How's it going? Although you look festive in your shirt. Well, you know, I thought I'd go sleeveless since, um, you know, you are not wearing um, a track suit today as I have been I wearing know. for the past, I don't know, since I got it. Well, it's probably for the best that that's in the, taking a break real quick. Right. Time to do some laundry, maybe. How about maybe. that? I don't know. Maybe I'm just trying to live a more sustainable lifestyle, you know? Well, there you go. I appreciate that about you sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so I am Mercedes Landazzari. And I'm Lindsay Neville. And with our forces combined, we are Plastics. Plastics. The voices of resin. That's us. Yeah. So I am design application lead for Techmer PM. And I am project engineer for Tech Tank in Erie, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. uh, we both serve on many boards. We figured what, like... Ten different chapters between the two of us. Yeah, we're I mean, safe. Yeah. For, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We might, yeah, we might do a little takeover. Um, but yeah, so so a little over a year ago, we started this podcast, um, and we would record episodes at some of our favorite conferences uh, in person. And now we are often hosting our interviews uh, at virtual conferences during the lunchtime session. So just a fun way to break it up. You can listen to recordings of our podcast and these interviews um, the first Friday of every month. Uh, SBE releases them. Yep. So you can search Plastics, one word, wherever you find your podcast. No I in between, common misconception. But we're fine if you want to pronounce it. That we're fine too. if you want to throw the I in there. We won't be hurt. All right. Well, let's introduce our awesome guest today. Who is not from Sunoco, as Jeremy said. <laughs> Jeremy said Sunoco. Well, you know what, Jeremy? Close yeah. um, so today our guest is, uh, well, I'm going to say your name wrong. Canastris? Canastris. Canastris. Yeah. Well, I didn't, I didn't get to meet well beforehand, so... <laughs> You know what? You can say my name wrong if you'd like. Well, I'm okay. Very Greek. It's one of those difficult ones. <laughs> so, um, so Will uh, is joining us not from Sunoco. Will, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and sure. where you're from? Uh, my name's Will. I'm the production oh, manager at Sonoma Pacific. Oh. Hmm? Can you hear me? My mic's on. Yep. I'm, yeah. I can hear right. you. I cannot. Oh, cool. This is going to be a fun one. <laughs> It'll be a great podcast episode. Wow. Okay. Well, um, well uh, yeah, my so mic's I'm on. I'm not going to be able to so. hear anything. Can everyone else hear? Presumably. I'll just, I'll just let you lead, Lindsay. Oh, oh, good. Good, good. Okay. Uh, my name's Will Canistris. I'm from Sonoma Pacific Distribution. Uh, we are a cannabis manufacturer and distributor. Uh, my background is from culinary and hospitality side to about 12 years ago, switching into cannabis, legal cannabis. Um, I've always been a cannabis fan, going back to using it medicinally as a teenager for rheumatoid arthritis. Um, and then 
moving into California from the East Coast to pursue my food passions. Um, I found that I was frequenting dispensaries and really not finding what I wanted uh, in the current product offerings. It was really different back then, not as regulated. Um, so I decided to start my own brand, Green Thumb Gourmet, focusing on higher end edibles uh, with a medicinal focus. And over the course of the industry switching from medicinal to recreational, I've kind of worked through several different parts, including cultivation and kind of moving into manufacturing and production over the last five or six years. So I definitely specialize mostly in the production end, uh, and that has to do a lot with pre-rolls, concentrates, um, and other produced products such as like topicals, bath and body care products, that kind of thing. Awesome. Um, yeah, and Mercedes, I mean, you can feel free to ask questions, even though you can't hear Will, because I'm getting a lot of feedback that everyone else can hear him, just not you. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'll call in Sue or Scott and have them just give me audio and I'll put my headphones on. on for that works. Um, yeah, so um, like you're saying, you kind of, you're more on the production end. Um, can you, you know, kind of tell us some of the early lessons you learned? Because you're saying, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot more regulation now than there was back in the day. You know, Absolutely. you kind of talk about yeah. that progression. So it used to be that there was almost no regulation um, back during what was Prop 215. It was a medicinal era in California. So at that time, it was really up to independent companies and retailers to focus on what their personal regulations were. So it was pretty free. It was kind of wild west as far as products go. Hence, wanting to get into it and develop it into something that is more standardized and really consumer friendly. So now we have regulations from a plethora of different regulatory bodies. And really what it comes down to is uh, food safe packaging, as well as child resistant packaging, similar to how you would have anything for uh, pharmaceuticals, um, including a lot of the regulations based around uh, uh, supply chain and, and how we transfer products. It's very similar to pharmaceuticals today. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I guess I wouldn't think of it that way, but um, I need child resistance. Yeah, <laughs> it's not necessarily for the benefit of the consumer. To make it legal, there was overregulation, which we're all struggling with. Um, it's pretty obvious in our industry right now, but it does look like there's some moves to, to change, and I think that's kind of what uh, the responsibility of people like me in the industry is to, is to participate in. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, right now, for example, certain edibles can't be in clear packaging. So it kind of ruins the, you know, the aesthetic of what you can offer. There's limitations to what ingredients you can use in an edible. Um, so there's certain things that we have to deal with that are outside of regular pharmaceutical or outside of regular, you know, consumer packaged goods that really put a burden on this packaging component and make it uh, the really the, the primary driver for what the price is at right now. So welcome back. Um, well, you said that, you know, you, you referenced, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm coming a little bit late here, but um, the over-regulation in the industry and that, yeah. and that, that is uh, impacting pricing. So do you, does it seem to you that um, pricing in cannabis, cannabis packaging has a higher premium than in, in other industries? Like, um, it does for sure. And that goes across with everything that we use in our industry. If I purchase 
the same exact item that's marketed towards me in the cannabis industry, I will pay a premium as opposed to going outside of the cannabis supply chain, purchasing the exact same product, just not marketed to me. It's, it's, I, I pay a premium in cannabis for sure. And then part of the burden of overregulation is also the cost to us. A lot of what I do is design the compliance around packaging, um, not just say the, the graphic component. And that compliance burden has a lot of points similar to uh, uh, food or vitamins. Um, so getting all that together and actually getting, say, even something as simple as one joint to market from raw material, the compliance burden and the packaging burden is probably 75% of the cost to the consumer. Yeah. That's that's funny that, you know, there's this overregulation on something like this, whereas, you know, we were talking about um, in the Plastics and Clean Water Conference that was a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about how, you know, people can put like green or biodegradable and like that's starting to get more regulation, but you can just yeah. slap that on there. But for something like this, you're you're being watched every step of the way. Oh, yeah. We can't tout any medicinal benefits, whether they're well known or not, obviously, uh, right now. That's included in CBD, not just on THC uh, cannabis products. Um, the FDA is really clear on that. Um, so a lot of the stuff that you see out there that's like CBD marketed to the mainstream that you could buy on like Amazon, so to speak, that realistically falls completely under. There's no compliance to it. And it's the regulatory bodies right now that are behind. So it's actually out of compliance and potentially would be something that would be stopped and incur a fine for that company. But the regulatory bodies, especially with COVID and being such a new industry and so much money on this end of it, uh, they're really playing catch up on that. Speaking of uh, already getting off topic here, welcome to our world. <laughs> That's our style. <laughs> but speaking of, of the current pandemic and just current situation um, in the United States and California right now, um, how has the day-to-day -day changed for you? Uh, in a few ways. One, we are essential, considered here in California, as well as in a few other states. So we stayed open. Our production facility actually ramped up, and we were operating seven days per week. Um, but what really changed for us is on the supply chain with packaging, of course. So <laughs> a lot of our stuff included, say, our, our Mylar bags that we get are printed and produced in China. So at the beginning of this COVID outbreak, we actually had trouble getting that finished you know, packaging here. Now, as China's opened up and we're slower here, the burden's actually on the retail market. It's changed the face of retail, I think, forever, especially in cannabis. Uh, people were able to continually consume and purchase their cannabis through this, but now they all of a sudden had to change how they were doing that. So I don't think it's ever going to go back, um, but mainly it was difficult getting all our supplies in in the beginning. Now that's kind of cleared out. It's really just a California market uh, being closed down now still. Fascinating because I, you know, obviously I've seen a shift in, in, in like retail apparel and things like that. But now with the whole complication of, of, of regulation, regulatory, obviously a lot of, a lot of, um, retailers are going direct to consumer, but with cannabis, is that something that you can do in California and in other markets? Yeah. You, you can't, they're actually different licenses. Part of uh, the recreational regulations now are that the supply chain is broken up. You have to have a different license for a cultivation facility versus a distribution, production, retail, and you can't necessarily own multiple licenses as the same company. So vertical integration is a little bit more expensive and there's a burden to that. 
Um, but right now, really what's happening is that it's being produced by one company, say another company in the middle, such as Sino Pacific, where I work, um, will do the distribution, sales, manufacturing of that raw material. And then we send it downstream to a retailer who has to do that. Um, there are companies that are vertically integrated and are moving into that, but that's kind of a larger umbrella. Uh, you're really not able to do it on a micro business level. What about uh, online sales? Online sales are allowed to a certain extent. They are representations of a physical inventory in a physical location for a delivery service. But you can purchase through an app the same way you would DoorDash during COVID. You can get your weed that way too in California. DoorDash, God bless. Yeah. Um, so you were talking about, you know, your your uh, manufacturing facilities ramped up. Um, what kind of um, what were your you're working seven days a week now? What were kind of your numbers? What were your volumes beforehand? Um, well, beforehand, I'll tell you, COVID was amazing in the switch of what consumers wanted. So it used to be that we were focusing on higher end products okay. that were at a higher price point. And of course, now with everybody being stuck in and on a limited budget, you know, you might not want to give up your, you know, alcohol consumption, your whatever that uh, stress alleviator is, you know. Um, so now we've been focusing on higher volume, mid tier, lower tier products with a very high focus on pre-rolls, joints. People are getting into smoking cannabis that haven't before, and there's a burden to, you don't wanna go out and you don't wanna buy a pipe, you don't wanna buy a bong, you don't wanna have to break that out when you wanna consume. Sometimes the simple, like a pack of cigarettes, but something along those lines is much easier. So you can go in, you can just purchase, you know, whatever flavor you want, whatever strength you want that looks nice. And it that's really been our, our larger focuses of late, especially with COVID. Cigarettes, you can purchase Lucy's, right? You can purchase like single. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. And, and most of you do singles. That's actually what's more popular right now. Because of the price point of cannabis, um, the market trend right now is for smaller joints and packs and larger joints and singles. So, Here we do everything from a, a tiny little quarter joint. We call them dog walkers. Um, they're perfect for exactly that. Uh, friend makers, another name for it. But, uh, uh, we go all the way up to a 12 gram like novelty size party joint. So pretty much everything, you know, every market. <laughs> so with that, I mean, that's a, a lot of packaging. So let's talk about the packaging volumes. Um, so, with, uh, you know, uh, seasonal volumes of batches, crops, farms, what kind of material quantities are needed? So uh, an average pound of flour, if we're going to produce our, our normal joints, are one gram pre-rolls. That's your, your average joint, say. So for an average joint, that one tube, that plastic tube, weighs about five grams. And you're going to go through about 400 of them for every pound, say. So on average, we're looking about 2,000 grams of our plastic tubes for every pound of flour. Now, a, a typical crop for even a small farm it would be for one greenhouse, 250 pounds, you know, minimum. Um, our batches are 50 pounds. So going into large scale production, realistically, a 250 pound batch is going to require about, it's like a 1,100 pounds worth of these plastic tubes if it's going into pre-rolls. And you got to imagine that a, a high consumer is going to go through, you know, a half a dozen of these a week, say, you know, one every 
you know, day or so. Um, so it really starts to add up because there we don't have that downstream recycling or reuse that other industries might because we're so new. There's no regulation as far as requiring a retailer or a company to use a certain amount of eco-friendly packaging or deal with what the results of that are downstream. So uh, it's, it's very high use, especially for pre-rolls. Um, and there's really no reuse or recycling set up as of right now, not in California at least. And, and what's really exciting about this to me is that this is, you know, a lot of the farms, a lot of the distribution companies are based in California, right? Um, and uh, California is, is probably also the epicenter of sustainability within the United States, I'd say, in, in some respects, at least in the plastic yeah. industry, right? So, I mean, are these pre-roll containers the new plastic straw? What, you know, we, we've seen a lot yeah. of these presentations today and this afternoon focus on sustainability, right? Which, which points to this, um, you know, disparity between the, the product and the packaging and the, the consciousness probably of the, of the market as well uh, that you're, the consumers that you're selling to, um, to, to want to um, uh, maintain some kind of eco-consciousness, right? So what, what, what's happening uh, in terms of, of sustainability now? Oh, well, absolutely. There's a few things, there's a few products out there because we're a newer industry with these uh, quick changing requirements that have developed uh, every six months or so. It really is difficult for a packaging manufacturer, say, to keep up with. Uh, as of right now, there's a couple companies that provide some options. There's Sana, which provides a reused ocean plastic tube, which for our own brand, uh, we do for all our pre-rolls. Um, it's a very nice reusable plastic tube. So part of it is that now that becomes part of the product. It's no longer just the packaging. You get to reuse it. Um, it's really nice. Uh, they come from ocean plastic. They also make a biodegradable hemp version. Um, but we've really liked them because they also help with product integrity. They, they produced a much better tube. They keep the product fresh. They're reusable. I mean, um, I wish there was more use of that in our industry. That higher price point, unfortunately, people don't want. These pre-rolls are considered disposable. So I would say it is the new plastic straw, at least in our industry. Uh, and there's a huge conflict, exactly as you mentioned. In California, we're very eco-friendly as far as the the greater you know uh, populace is concerned. But in cannabis, we are an incredibly resource-heavy industry. That's not just with our packaging; it also goes to our use of fertilizers in the cultivation side, and then our use of power. Cultivation in California requires a lot of electricity to the point where we're actually a significant percentage of California's total power consumption just for indoor flower production. So uh, as techniques and technology progresses and we're able to become more efficient in those processes, including the packaging side and production side before that, um, we'll be able to better address that. But as of right now, the regulatory concerns and lack of options have really put us in a position where uh, we really don't have a choice but to offer some things that maybe we wouldn't want to long-term. Right. I mean, that's, I think that's a general issue with a lot of um, sustainability in not just cannabis in almost every consumer good, food good, whatever, you know, you want it to be the reusable option. You want it to be the sustainable option, but the price point just isn't there yet. And so you have to make that conscious, you know, do I want to do this or do I want to keep it cheap? And until these two get a little bit, 
closer. I don't think we're going to make the full switch over. And they are getting closer, mm -hmm. you know, every every few months, uh, you know, as we reapproach an issue or as we redevelop a product, you know, there's a few more options out. Every time I try something new, there's some new formats available. But uh, for right now, it's it's really limiting. Couple of questions from the audience. I see on the Sonoma Pack website, it states that you're using ocean plastic containers for your pre-rolled tubes. Can you comment on what specific chemistry you're using? That's something maybe Sana could respond to later. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to be talking later on that. I can't really speak to that, unfortunately. <laughs> I, I can tell you anything you want on cannabis, but so much. And that. then there was also a, a question from uh, Professor Manju Mis uh, Misra, um, biodegradable hemp version. What does that mean? Ocean plastics yeah. are not biodegradable though. Yeah, there are two different types yeah. of packaging. It's just two different versions that the same company offers there. It's the, in my opinion, the best and most sustainable option for pre-rolls right now. Uh, the hemp version, as much as it's very popular, um, that's been more popular on the mainstream CBD. So you buy your hemp joints in a hemp tube. Um, but we really like the ocean plastic message. We are Sonoma Pacific. We are coastal. Um, it, made a lot more, it made a lot more sense for us. I also really like the white finish of the tube. It looks really nice labeled and you know, anything we can do to help pull the plastic out as opposed to create something else, right. I think was kind of what we were focused on. Absolutely. You know, we, we see this whole plastic free movement and um, some of these people saying, you know, stop using plastics. But my my answer to that, you know, is always or, or retort to that is always we have to stop abusing plastics. Right. If we stop using them, they're not going to go away. They're still going to stay there. Right? So so what is the industry, what are you doing, what is your competitors doing to um, to um, achieve a more su sustainable um, supply chain process, more sustainable packaging? Um, what's what's the next step for Sonoma Pack? If, if you can reveal, you know, kind of what's on your mind. Yeah. <laughs> well, for us, our own packaging is moving to be all sustainable. So beyond just our tubes, San has also manufactured uh, lids for jars for our like even premium eights. So we're gonna to move to that by the end of the year, including uh, post-consumer glass for our jars, which is great. Um, I think beyond that, it's just organizing reuse and recycling programs at the retail level. And that is definitely something that we're interested in approaching more as uh, COVID kind of ends and we can do that. As of right now, people take it and consume at home. So it's really difficult, which is why we're pushing for something more sustainable from our end until we can approach it from the other end as soon as COVID's kind of wrapped up a little bit hopefully yeah. all hopeful in there <laughs> in terms of um i mean you mentioned uh having to keep up with changing regulations and this was actually a question that i had initially typed to, to ask you but deleted it how what resources do you use how are you able to to stay on top of all the changing regulations so that's actually kind of difficult they put out bulletins from every regulatory body but uh, some of it is as i approach a hurdle or a process again all of a sudden my contact with that regulatory body will be completely different so um, a lot of it is unfortunately not easy information to find um, it takes a lot of reading a lot of regular research and staying up to date on it and uh, often having to correct mistakes after the fact with packaging uh, that's been a case for even some of the largest brands that I've dealt with in the last year. It's almost an inevitability over time that we will have to relabel, repackage in some capacity. That's frustrating. That's frustrating. <laughs> yeah. 
the list of compliance points we go for, say for one, one pre-roll, just for example, uh, it's a list of over 30 compliance points for the packaging. So when you have to work those in with your nice packaging design and a sustainable effort, it really becomes burdensome. Uh, I would love if everything that we put out was 100% biodegradable right from the start and we can right. go into that. It's, it's absolutely not possible no matter how, even if I didn't care about the margin and you know I had everything behind me in support, it would be impossible for me to find a format that completes my, all of my requirements downstream that is also sustainable. Yeah, and I mean, even just the repetition of packaging or the relabeling or anything like that, you know, you're taking away from any sustainability you have each time you're changing it, rerunning it, reprinting it, you know. Absolutely. So. What we can do, though, is we focused on being more sustainable and better in our production practices. So at our facility versus others, there's definitely more units to market. We have a much higher yield and much uh, you know, less overpack compared to everything else. So while we haven't been able to focus on these outward sustainability projects as much because we're limited, we focused inwardly and we've gotten really, really efficient. Um, we're really tight as far as how much we use internally. Uh, we don't purchase any extra. Um, I'm really careful about where we destroy products and how that goes out. Um, which is also another burden in this industry, of course. Um, so we've definitely tried our best through other avenues to be sustainable. Yeah, that's, that's a good approach. <laughs> All right. Um, so we are going to wrap up here. We're going to um, send everybody into the next room. Apparently, there'll be a link. You just click. I don't know. I haven't done it, but I'm sure it'll be easy. So, uh, Will, we just want to thank you so much for uh, coming on today, sharing uh, your, you know, your perspective, um, and especially in the cannabis industry. It's uh, really appreciated. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Will. If you've got a question, the horses and reds are here. Ooh, questions. Okay.